Good evening. This lecture is Shimon Ben Miriam, Lerefuat Nekadam Bat Pnina, and Lerefuat David Ben Aliza Malka, and Lilu Nishmat Enche Reizel Bat Avraham Yuda. One announcement. Uh, next, this coming Monday, there's no lecture in Queens. I forgot to announce it yesterday, and my lecture there in Queens. I'm flying to LA on Thursday and coming back very late Monday, so there's no lecture. Next Tuesday, we're here as usual. But on this coming Monday, there's no lecture in Queens. Benji, remember that. Yesterday, we gave in Queens a very, very strong lecture. You don't want to miss it. It's a very, very good one. I believe it will go up tonight. So those who didn't watch it should not miss it. You know, you know how uh, it's determined in Shamaim if the lecture will be good or not? It's the merit of the audience. There's a lot of calculation in Shamaim who has the merit to hear what. I don't know if you remember, one time I told a story that I went to the auditorium in Israel. I had a very nice crowd, you know, it's like a theater. And one uh, woman said that her nephew is dating a, dating a non-Jewish girl. If I can speak about it in my lecture, about to explain the scene here. And I'm thinking, while I'm speaking, how will I push it into the topic? because it's not connected to the topic. So I asked her, show me who the guy is. She showed me where he sits. Okay. Just when I finally get, got to a situation that I can push it in, as soon as I was about <laughs> to connect it, the guy got up and went out. I said, I can't believe this. What happened now? Just now he needs the bathroom. I speak for five minutes about it, basically talking to the wall. Just when I finished the topic, he walked in. Mama, she went to the bathroom. You see, from Shamaim, he didn't have siata dishmaya to hear the truth. I give you hundreds of examples how to hear the truth, you need a merit. Don't take it for granted. Some people, Hashem does not want them to come and hear the truth. He will do everything he can to prevent them from hearing the truth. And some people, Hashem does everything He can to push them to hear the truth. It all depends on many, many factors. It can also be schutavot. So, last Shabbat, I read Parashat Miketz. I was in Miami there. This Shabbat, we're going to Vaigash. I just want to say one thing, the end of Parashat Miketz that when Yosef sends his messenger to chase the brothers, after they hid the, the cup, the special cup in their luggage, on their donkeys, horses, whatever it was, the brothers were shocked, but he's suspecting us for, for being thieves. We will steal after we, we were with him. <coughs> He's giving us so much to take home for free. He doesn't take money. He puts back the money in our things. Now we suspect that we stole his cup, silver cup. 
And he say, the one that you're going to find it in his luggage, who he should be your servant. And where they found it? In the luggage of Binyamin. This is all a scam here now. On purpose, Yosef wants to get Binyamin. And Judah promised Yaakov, I'm responsible to bring you back Binyamin. Binyamin in English is Benjamin. And if I won't be able to bring you back, my, your son from Rachel, Binyamin, after you lost Yosef, they don't know yet that Yosef is alive yet this whole time. If something will happen to Binyamin, you can kill my own kids. I never heard something so strange. How is it, how is it going to help? How is it going to help to kill more of his grandchildren? If he would lose, a, he would lose a, a grandchild, he's now gonna lose more. What kind no. of a solution is that? I, I think it's a, it's a form of speech, meaning I'm so confident that I'm going to bring him back that I'm willing to even gamble on the life of my children. That's really what it means. Not that obviously he's not going to do it. But why am I telling you all this? When Yosef argue with them about what they did, supposedly, right? What is his claim? This is his claim. Listen carefully. Lama shilamtem ra'a tachatova. Yosef doesn't say, why you dare to steal from me? What kind of people you are? You thieves? Are you thieves? No, that's not what he says. He doesn't talk about stealing. He goes directly to a different blame. Is blaming them for being ungrateful. He doesn't talk about stealing. What does he say? Lama shilamtem ra'atachatova. From here we learn, like I always tell you, that the Torah is a school for life, and every verse is a school for life, and we learn so much from it. We learn a lot from it, and it's very interesting because. Yosef does not talk about stealing. He talks about being ungrateful. From here we learn that to be ungrateful is worse than to be a thief. Worse. Because Yosef wants to make a big case against them. He doesn't want to make a small case. Right? If someone committed two sins and you want to show him as a bad person, you will choose the worst sin or, or the light sin. You're going to go for, for as much as you can, just like every prosecutor. If someone stole $100 from a restaurant, but then he, he, he shot someone, they care about the $100, they care about the shooting. That's, uh, that's 20 years in prison, stealing, what is it going to be? Two months uh, working in a hospital or something? They always go for the, for the highest accusation. We just learned something that not that many people understand the severity of it. Many people will not dare to steal. I'm religious, I'll never steal. Look, my credit is perfect, I don't have late payments, I always pay on time. There's not one person in the world can claim I ever stole from him. Yeah, very nice, beautiful. That's the way every person should be, Jews and non-Jews. Even non-Jews are not allowed to steal. I said many times, for Gentiles is a death penalty to steal. It's mama serious. Jews have to pay double 
they stole a hundred, they have to pay double. They stole a thousand, they have to pay double. That's it. So what do we see from here? It's very, very interesting that to be an ungrateful person, not that many people pay attention not to be. Almost every person, almost every person has somewhat of ungratefulness in his life, in his lifestyle. Ungratefulness to his teachers, to his parents, brothers and sisters. Could be friends, neighbors. Could be many, many people. What is the... Who knows what is the cause of ungratefulness? What caused such a thing? It's obviously a bad trait, right? It's a defective uh, personality trait. But what really caused it? You know, like for instance... Uh, jealousy. What's the source of jealousy? Source of jealousy is lack of faith in Hashem. You don't have a in Hashem. That's why you're jealous with what people have. You have a You know, Hashem knows what He's doing, and everybody gets what's good for Him. Uh, what's the source of anger? Why people get angry? What causes people to get angry? Ego. There could be few could be few sources. One ego. One also lack of faith. He doesn't understand that Hashem runs the world. If he knew it, he wouldn't get angry. Hashem did it to me. What do you want from him? What's the source of uh, stinginess? Lack of faith. Lack of faith in Hashem. No bitachon, no confidence in Hashem. What's the what's the source of laziness? What's the source of laziness? Also no faith in Hashem. I tell you why. Let's say your nature is to be lazy. You're just a bum. In Hebrew, it's called harovets. You like to be rovets. You know what rovets mean? Like the lion in a zoo. You come in 20 years, every time you see him, he's in the same situation, on a rock there, in a Bronx zoo. His wife runs, take care of business. He's always like that. Once in a blue moon, he gets up slowly, walk five steps, look around, and lay down again. I know people like this. Let them just lay down all day in bed with their laptop or their big screen. Some people have screens size of a refrigerator. So what's the source of laziness? Who knows? Lack of faith. Why? Because when your nature is to be lazy, you now want to make yourself a cup of tea. You look at, this, at, the, at the kitchen, it's 20 steps. You're calculating. Wow, I have to get up, move the blanket, get up, walk 20 steps, then walk back 20 steps, stand two minutes to boil the water. This whole thing will take me five minutes. i I rather lay down. So you wait three hours until his wife come back. Soon she walks in, where have you been? Why, why do you care? Well, I'm waiting for you for three hours already. 
Since when are you waiting for me? Ah, okay, forget it. Okay, if you're already in the kitchen, do you mind making me a cup of tea? He doesn't tell her that for three hours he's fighting with himself. He couldn't get up to do it himself. But let me ask you a question. If there would be someone in the house that said to him, get up and make yourself tea. Say, no, I'm too lazy for it. So I'll give you $200, do it. <laughs> what would happen? Oh, get up. It will be very light. Get up. Jumping to the kitchen, whistling, <coughs> singing. The process of making himself tea would not be so hard as it was five minutes ago before he was promised $200. So we see that the actual job is not the problem. It's what's in your head. If you don't have faith in Hashem, you believe you work for nothing. Your nature is not to do anything, unless it's, you're getting a major reward. So if there's no reward, you don't want to move. You're not going to do anything. You're selfish. You, you don't care about anyone. You only want to lay down. Once someone motivates you by giving you $1,000, you get up and you move. And once you do it, you're not suffering. What happened? The reward eliminates the suffering of the laziness. So you see what's the source of laziness? Lack of faith. Because <laughs> if you believe Hashem when He said that for every little thing you get a huge reward, you will never be lazy. So laziness is because I do not want to work for free. That's what's in your mind. But when I assure you, you don't work for free, I give you an example of what I'm talking about. Twenty-something years ago, I moved to my house, where I live today. So we had uh, furniture, you know, mattresses, wall unit, tables, chairs, you know, moving, personal clothes. So there was, a, there was one uh, religious Jew in Monsi, Alava Shalom, he passed away about 10 years ago. He had a moving company. Who worked in moving company? It was five Spanish people from the Bronx, from around Monsi, they lived there. Most people, when they order a company to give them a service, they pay in the end, plus they give the tip in the end, if they give a tip. Some people have no shame. They don't give tip to the workers. And that causes a big chilul Hashem. Big chilul Hashem. So what happened? I decided to be smarter than the average people. I said, what is the point if I'm going to give them the tip in the end of the job? Right now, they are worried if they get a tip or not. They won't be motivated to work hard. Let me be smart. As soon as they arrive, I will already tell them how much I'm going to give them the tip. In advance. That will give them great motivation. So when they came, I said, Como estas, amigos? Senor. <laughs> I said, do a good job. Back then, it was a lot of money. Each one of you will get $50 tip. Their eyes came out. All day they work like real slave. Don't make 100 bucks back then. How much do you think a person would make those days? $12 an hour. 20, 21 years ago. $50 tip. Plus, I showed them a case of beer. Cerveza, amigo. I put now in the fridge. Ah, they saw the beer. Like they won the lottery. You had to see how they work. 
You never saw in your life such ambition. <laughs> Why I remember that? One time when they brought in a big unit, a closet, they asked me where. I said, upstairs. They brought it all the way up, and it was heavy, four guys taking it up the stairs. And my wife came and said, no, that's not there. That should be in this room. No problema, senora. Tak, 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 tak. You know how the diran? Now imagine if I didn't do what I did. Oh, what faces no. they would make. What attitude they would give me. Oh, no, senor. Damn. Que pasa? <laughs> so what do you see? It's all about motivation. The Nero give the amigos motivation. Every person is like this in the world. You give them motivation, something they like. Money, beer, both. Some people want compliment. I have a Hasid friend, Hasidish. He moved to Monroe. He used to live in Monsi. He moved to Monroe, the heart of Satmer. One time, there was a very big wedding. Very big wedding. And he did such a job. Oof. It was, it's like doing 10 or more weddings in one shot, the amount of people. And in the end, I, say, I said to him, how did it go? He said, it was amazing. A week they prepared. They had semi-trailers. The food is in the eating inside the truck. There's no room to store all the food. Thousands of people. So in the end, I asked him, at least did you make parnasa? You made a living? <laughs> So his wife said, I gave him a menorah for Hanukkah. I said, menorah for Hanukkah? He walked like a slave one week from morning to night. What do you mean menorah for Hanukkah? Menorah for Hanukkah is a thousand dollars. Should have made twenty thousand dollars lefachot for such a job to his pocket. So he said to me, but, but, the rabbi told me, we love your food. Your food was so delicious. That's the whole world for him. The compliment. If you give him $20,000 and he said the food was okay, he won't sleep at night. If you give him $50 and you say to him, Simche, your food is the best we ever ate. For one year, he would walk with a smile. You have people like this. For them, acknowledgement is more than money. More than promotion, more than anything. He was like this. Still, Baruch Hashem alive. Good word means the whole world for him. This is people from the previous generations that when you give them a compliment, they're so happy. Today, people want money. They don't want compliments. Ask most workers. You like a nice compliment or you want extra cash? Save the compliment for your child. Count the cash. Dov, Rabotai, so what we learn to be ungrateful is actually worse than to be a thief. What is the punishment of being a thief? Who knows? Person die as a thief. What's the punishment? He has to come back in reincarnation to pay back in his next life what he stole in his past life. So all the thieves are actually borrowing an illegal loan. You know how you take loan with scam? 
even you plan to pay it, but you took it in a with some kind of a trick. I don't know, you took a loan from the government, you filled up an application, you were not entitled for that loan. So you're thinking, ah, I got away with that, I got the loan. Loan, no interest, low interest. But eventually one day the government say, listen, you never were supposed to get the loan. Now you have to pay us the loan with all the interest. Meaning what? You have to pay double. You took 100,000, now you owe, you owe us 200,000. It's the government, you can't play games. This is what the thieves will have in their next life. They stole 100,000 in this world. In their next life, they will have to pay 200,000. How are they going to pay? They're going to have someone that either steal from them or do a job with them and don't pay them their share. Or over the years, cheat them on a commission, he worked for someone, and he keeps cheating him on a commission. Another 500, another 200, another 700. After 20 years, that's $200,000. Or he will have a child, Chaz Shalom, that will have a, a horrible uh, sickness, and you need him to get cured. And who's going to be the doctor? The soul of the person that he stole from 200000 And how much will be the cost of the surgery? 45-minute surgery, $200,000. And he doesn't see the connection. But in the end, what, come, what comes around, what goes around, comes around. That's the right way to say it. This is all measure for measure. Let's move on. Parashat Vaigash It's written Vayakiroto ki en anar vamet Yehuda says If my father will see that I came back without the boy Meaning Binyamin My father will die from pain, from heartache. The question is, why Yuda rather said that the father of Binyamin will die and not his children? He has many kids already. When you want to say, please release the prisoner, why should, I, why should I have mercy on him? We have ten boys, ten young boys at home are miserable without their father. What's better to say? He has an old father or he has uh, ten boys? What's more convincing? Ten boys. Huh? Ten boys. So why Yuda, which was a very smart man, why he rather use the excuse that his father will have a broken heart and die? The answer is, Rabotai, we have to ask a question. Who has more pain? Someone that his father died or someone that his son died? Person have a father and have a son. If, God forbid, they just got a call that his son got hit by a car, destroyed him for life. If he just got a call that his father got hit by a car, 70-something years old, crossed the street, car hit him, and he died. Both cases, obviously, it breaks his heart. 
but which one destroys the heart? That his father died or his son died? He buried his father or he buried the son. Which one breaks the heart more? You look to me like you're not sure. I don't see a dilemma here. Ah, of course the son. What's the question? But the question is, logically it should have been the other way around. Who do you owe more gratitude? Father did so much to you. If he got hurt, it should hurt you more. What did the boy did for you? Nothing. He only takes from you. So what do you see from here? It's not about giving or taking. It's the natural DNA of the human being. But there's always an exception to the rule. By the Arabs, for instance, it, it doesn't work. They love that their children will die. They want them to be shaheed. As long as they kill with them Jews, once their son comes and, and explodes himself with, with bomb and kills few Jews in the bus stop, they make a party. Give candy, baklava, kulululululu. Ahmed went to heaven. Yeah, right. <laughs> Other people would do everything they can to save the life of their children, even if they have to sacrifice their own life. Most Jews, especially the women, the mothers, they tell them, it's you or your son. What would she say? Take me, don't take him. Take me. Normally, the way of a parent is to have more pain when you lose a child than when you lose a parent. Why is it? Where this DNA comes from? There is a saying in the Torah, Ma'aseh Avot, Siman Lebanim. What you do or like to do or used to do normally comes from the genealogy that you come from. We are all children of whom? Adam Arishon. Adam Arishon never buried a father. But he did bury a son, Cain. Adam Arishon had a tragedy. Who died? Cain. He didn't have a father to die. As a result of that, Hashem, the way he runs the world is, what happens with the parents goes like in inheritance. It's hereditary. It goes to the children. For instance, the Arabs, in one hand, they love to kill. Like Ishmael, he loves to kill, they love to kill. They kill everyone, Jews, Christian, and their own people. Shiad, Sunni, Sunni, Shiad. All the time killing. Where does it come from? From Ishmael. Also Esav, lived by the sword. Same thing, went to his children. But there is one more thing. The Arabs are very good with hospitality. Very good. You go to a house of an Arab, doesn't matter where it is, the table will be in a minute, full of anything you can think of. Assuming you can eat his food, let's say, you know, not Jew, someone that doesn't care kosher, not kosher. He will bring for you lamb, he will bring for you uh, all kinds of salads, hummus, coffee, fruits. If you go to a house of a European, German, British, Belgian, Dutch, you're lucky if you get a glass of water. That's the mentality. They're not very good with hospitality. You can sit there for three hours. If you're lucky, they offer you a glass of water. Why is it? That's the mentality. 
but with the Arabs, very, very open heart for hospitality. It's an insult for them if you come and left the house without eating a lot and taking with you food for the way. So it's very interesting where the Arab inherited from, from Abraham Avinu. Abraham Avinu was the greatest ever in hospitality. That part they inherit from Abraham. Same thing among the Jews. You have European Jews and you have Middle Eastern Jews. The Middle Eastern Jews have Arab mentality. The European Jews have Europe mentality. You can see a very big difference in their DNA. For instance, if you go to a Moroccan shul or a Syrian shul, if someone go up to the Torah, half an hour people come and hug and kiss him. still hug and kiss. Why is it? European mentality. Go to Moroccan. Every man. What are all these kisses? Arab mentality. It goes from generation to generation. <laughs> you laugh because you know this is exactly... I one time went to a synagogue here in Ocean Parkway 25 years ago. <laughs> I never forget that. The guy was the first one, Cohen. He was already in Yaliyat Shishi. And people still congratulate the Kohen. He's already in the Aliyah Shishi and he still walks around shaking hands like it's some kind of a wedding. Sacha Koligan Aliyah! But, I give you another example. If you meet a Middle Eastern Jew, Iraqi, Persian, Syrian, Lebanese, Egyptian, you want to say hi or you want to say goodbye, usually it comes with a big hug. Like this. Hug. Some people, they're so cold, if you want to hug them, their entire body turns to the side. They can hug. Why? Because this is in the DNA. The DNA is very, very dry and cold. Some people are very warm. They shake your hands with two hands, they break your hands. Oh! When this guy shake your hand, you know you're going to have a pain for a week. Why? It's very emotional. But it's very interesting. Because when you put the Sephardi kids in an environment like this, if you want to hug them and kiss them, they are very ashamed. No, no, don't kiss me in front of my friends. Why? It's a crime to kiss your son. No, my friends will think we are weird. That explains everything. They think we are weird. Why we are weird? Because what kind of a father gives a hug or a kiss to his son? It's not normal. It has to be not normal. That's European mentality. Of course, every rule has an exception to the rule. Yes. There are some Middle Eastern that are cold. There are some Europeans that are very warm. But that's the general rule. Same thing over here. When a person buries a son, is very painful. Why? It went from generation to generation from the first human being that buried his son, Adam Arishon. Adam Arishon, 
did not have a father, so he never got to bury his father. Never. Now, Rabotai, who, who does more for each other? Son to the father or father to the son? Who serves who? What's the right way and what's in reality is happening? Huh? Well, it's okay. What do you think? The dedication of the father to the son is always higher than the dedication of the son to the father. The same reason, what I just said before, we got it from Adam. Adam did not know how to be devoted to a father because he never had a father. But he had children, so he took care of his children. Because the first human being took care of his children and he didn't take care of his father, that's why people take care of their children, but the children not usually care about their parents. And even if they do care, they care, but to some, some extent. Some uh, people, when their parents get old, some people, when their parents get old, they put them in a nursing, 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 home. Home. nursing home. Sometimes even a fancy one. They pay 10000 a month, or I don't know, whatever. Why you put your father in a nursing home? He has company, they play piano, they bring a clown, clown tell jokes, he plays cards, what is he going to do by my house? But some people, you pay them a million dollars, they want to agree to put their parents in a nursing home. For them, it's a very big insult. That's like negligence. I'm going to neglect my father or my mother, send her away. Yes, we're going to go, we're going to visit every Sunday. We know it. But they will never agree. We will take care of them in the house, even if it takes 10, 20, 30 years, whatever it takes. This is, by the way, a good sgula to become wealthy. Kibud orim, kabel et avicha ve'etimecha, leman ya'arichun yamecha. It's also segula for good parnasa. Among the Sfaradim, all the Sfaradim, which two nationalities have the greatest wealth in the world? Syrians and Persians. Right? There's also rich Moroccans, there's rich Yemenites, there's rich Lebanese, there's rich from everywhere. Egyptians, Iraqis, of course there are. But in general, you see that Persians and Syrians are more blessed than the average. Why is it? They will never let their parents go to some nursing home. The mother, the father, the old man will always be surrounded with children, grandchildren. They will be always the head of the tribe. This is the way Hashem wanted it to be. He doesn't want you to throw. There is a verse in Tehillim about it. King Solomon. What does it say? Al tashlicheni le'et zikna. Kichlot kochi. Al ta'azveni. Translation. Please do not throw me away when I will be old. When my strength will end, do not leave me 
You understand? This is me. That's a, that's a call of every old man to his children not to turn their back and be ungrateful. Now, Abota Yuda says something very interesting. How will I go up to my father and the boy is not with me? Why does it say I go up? He should say, how will I return to my father and the boy is not with me? Why does it mean how will I go up to my father and the boy is not with me? So the general explanation, pshat, pshat, Eretz Israel is considered the highest place in the world, in holiness. So when you go out of Israel to any country in the world, it's called Yored Minaretz. You go down from the land. When you go to Israel from any country in the world, Olelaretz. Rabbi, I'm making Aliyah. Why Aliyah? Maybe it's Yerida. Maybe in America you worth a hundred million dollars and after you go to Israel, some Israeli wolves and sharks will bite from you everything you have and after two years you'll be left with nothing. That will be a major Yerida. We're not talking about money or physical things, no. We're talking about spirituality. All the world is impure. The land of Israel is the house of Hashem. So have a special holiness. So going to Israel, it's going up. Going from Israel to Egypt is going down. Going from Egypt to Israel is going up. And it's a clear verse in the book of God. However, there is another secret here. How will I go up to heaven when I finish this life? How will I go up to my father, HaKadosh Baruch Hu? And my boy is not with me. What does it mean? Which boy? Which boy? My own biological boy. Why is not with me? Why I lost him? Because I put him in public school and I murdered his soul. A married non-Jewish woman. And all the kids are not Jewish. And I have nothing left. I go up homeless, lonely, no children. Lost my entire continuation. Up to me, from all the way from Moshe Rabbeinu, up to me, we were all Jewish, and this is the family tree. From me and on, it ended. How are you going to show up your face in the judgment day after you leave the world? And Hashem will say, who did you live in a world and you won't be able to say a name? You have any kids? Yes, my son Ari. Your son Ari is married to Christina from China. He's not your son anymore. That's it. From then on, all your grandkids are not your grandkids. What are they? Non-Jewish. Could be nice kids, but they're not Jewish. They're not following your genealogy. This is the secret over here. Lachar Shnot Chayai Baulamaze, Vanar and Enuiti. 
How will, how will we go up to Hashem when the new generation after us all goes to public school and intermarry? How are we going to show our face? By the way, who can give me another verse in the Torah that it's very important to Hashem that every Jew that got the truth from Hashem will make sure and responsible, will be responsible to pass it to his children in the exact authentic way. A verse, clear verse in the Torah. Avraham Avinu, very good. Hashem said that he knows, he knows that Abraham will pass the Torah to his children. Avraham will pass my Torah to my children. Avraham or Avi? What's the title of Avraham? Avraham, my lover. Avraham, my lover. Why is Avraham my lover? Why I counted on him? Why I spoke to him? Why I cared what he thinks or what he feels? Why is it? Because he will not neglect his children after him. He will pass, pass it to others. Really, what Hashem wants to say here, not about his biological children. Because we have a say in the Torah, how many children a person has depends how many students he has. If you have 200 students that you taught them Torah, students are like children in Shamayim. That's why when a rabbi died, they ripped their shirt like a son. They do Kriya on the rabbi. Why? Because it's mamash like a son. So, who are your children? Your children and your grandchildren, right? Two generations after you consider your children. Bnei banim ke banim. Four generations is also, but not as much. You know, some people, they had five generations. Rav Yashiv, he was a hundred and something. He had already, I think, six generations after him. You know? Grandson of a grandson in his lifetime. He didn't even know who they are. What do you think he knew who they are? Let's see if they all come now to, hey, grandpa, <laughs> happy birthday, you're 100 years old. Who are you? Moishi. Where are you? From which family? Itzi. And who is Itzi? Son of Mendel. And who is Mendel? Your grandson. <laughs> it's already a grandson of a grandson. One time, they brought the fourth generation grandson of Rav Yashiv, meaning the son of his grandson. He was a young man in his 20s. They uh, brought him to my cousin to give him a bracha. So this is the anin shel Rav Yashiv. The anin shel Rav Yashiv. This is a grand-grandson of the Rav Yashi. So my cousin told him, your grandfather, your grand-grandfather is the most important Chacham in the world and you're coming to me? He said to him, I happen to be here. And they said that you big Chacham Tzadik, so why not? I'm here already. I didn't come special for that. Happened to be here in Yeshiva. He said, no problem, I'll give you a bracha, but in one condition. What? 
that you tell us a story about your grandfather. Something that we didn't hear before. Something you yourself know. So he said to him, I'll tell you the truth. I'm already sleeping by him every night for a few weeks, almost a few months. And since I joined there to help him, I, I do some shopping, I take, care of the, take out garbage, whatever, I take care of him, make sure that, you know, he was already a hundred years old. He did not speak to me more than one sentence, just in the first day when I came, and until now for weeks. He does not speak to me one word, because all days in the Gemara. He's not even aware that I'm in a room. I'm coming in, I'm coming out. I, I close the house, I go downstairs, I open with the key, I close the door. He's in a different planet. Actually, there is a video on YouTube that you can see it in your own eyes. How he learns, he goes to sleep at midnight, to 12, wakes up at 2 a.m., Two hours he sleeps, a person 101 years old in the video. He sleeps two hours a night, that's it. Two hours a night, who can function here on two hours a night? You don't look to me 101 years old. Anyone here can function a week or two in the two hours sleep at night? What would happen to us? You know how many accidents we're gonna make? If we're gonna fall every two minutes when you drive. Fall asleep in the middle of work. If you wanna learn Gemara, you begin to snore. People sleep six hours and they're so weak. They wake up after shachrit. I have to lay down. You just woke up an hour ago. I don't know, I'm so tired. But you had a whole big of coffee. I have no idea, I'm tired. It's tired all the time. 101, two hours a night. What did he do the rest of the 22 hours? Learn non-stop. From here you see, you see sometimes people learn because they need, people learn because they need to know for this world what to do. But when someone already knows everything, he knows the whole Gemara, he knows the whole Shulchan Aruch, he knows the whole Gemara, he knows everything. There's not a book he doesn't know. Can't tell Rav if something new that he didn't think about or he didn't read. Why is he learning? Why is he learning? Let's say you want to be, you want to be an engineer. You have to learn X amount of material, and you know how to build buildings, you know how to make bridges, you know everything. After a few years of learning, you can build anything you want, plan everything you want. That's it, there's nothing for me anymore to learn. Or let's say you want to be a mechanic. You learn, 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 you're already 20 years learning daily while you're working. There's not a car that you don't know by heart. There are mechanics like this. You're stuck in the highway, you call your friend the mechanic. This is what happened, code such and such. Oh yeah, that's, no. Oh, which car you have? This one. Okay, yeah, it's a, it's a known problem. Right? They already know. What's the point of learning more? For what you already know. There's no point. That's why they don't need to learn. I already know it. What do I have to learn? But why Rav Yashiv in age 100 has to continue to learn 22 hours a day? Because in Judaism, the purpose of learning is not just for knowledge. All learning in life is for the purpose of knowledge. Knowledge gives power. Knowledge improves your life. Knowledge prevents mistakes in your life. 
That's why people want to know. You want to be a math teacher. You have to learn math. How are you going to teach? You need to learn. You want to be a doctor. You have to learn. Otherwise, you kill people. The knowledge will give you money, will give you a good name, will give you comfortable work. Everybody knows what's the purpose of learning. It's very clear. But in Torah, there is another purpose. It's learning for the sake of learning. That's why it's a huge mitzvah to sit today and learn all the sacrifices. It's not relevant. There's no temple. We have it in a tefillah in the morning. Why the Chachamim put it in a tefillah? After the destruction of the temple, they knew nobody would want to learn it. Because what's the nafkamina? There's no more Bet HaMikdash. What do we need to learn all these korbanot? When Bet HaMikdash will be built, while we're building it, we would start learning what needs to be done there. But until then, let's learn what we really need. The laws of Shabbat, laws of blessing, laws of interest, laws of nida, things that we need for every day. What do we need to learn? All the special sacrifices in the, in the altar. Why? It's boring me, Rabbi. I don't like this korbanot. It's not for me. What do I care? They do shechita with the blood and this, how they burn it, which part they give to the Kohen, which part they give. I care about korban ola, korban chatat, korban olevi yored. What do I need to know all of this? How is it going to benefit me in my life? Because I know the difference between the korbanot. I'm going to be a better Jew. The answer is no. You really don't use this information for every day. But you learn for the sake of learning. That you know now all the different korbanot that they used to do in Bet HaMikdash. First, when, when the Mashiach comes, he will have people that are already knowledgeable. It's very good. He doesn't have to start teaching them from scratch. But even without that, the learning, that's by the way, the highest level of learning. When you learn Shnaim Ochazin Betalit, or Shor Shenagach, or all these things that they normally teach in Yeshivot, it's also very good, but it's not as high as when you learn the sacrifices of Bet HaMikdash. Who knows why? When do you have more Yetzirah not to learn? When you learn something interesting, or when you learn something that is not so interesting and not relevant? When you learn something that benefits your daily, you have more motivation. You need to know it. People will ask, people will talk about it. I will be able to show that I understand the material. But something that I don't use, it's just learning for general knowledge. Not for personal gain or daily gain. Therefore, the Satan is telling you, ah, don't waste your time on this. The Satan. Why the Satan doesn't want you to learn things that are not relevant? What does he care? He should be happy that you learn things that are not relevant. If you learn things that are not relevant, you will have less time to learn things that you need for every day. It's a good deal for the Satan. But why the Satan does the other, the other way around? To learn something interesting, he resists. To learn something that is not relevant to today's days is more strict. Who knows why? Let's see if you're clever. Less interesting is higher reward. Very good. Big shkoyach.
Hundred percent. The job of the Satan is to try to minimize your reward for the eternal world as much as possible. That's his job. That's how Hashem programmed it. When you learn something that is not as interesting or is not so relevant and you don't have personal gain every day from it, so the only reason you learn is mamash because Hashem said so. Pure. A hundred percent for the sake of heaven. And because you do that, the reward is a lot higher. The reward is a lot higher. So the Satan will try to convince you it's boring. Why are you wasting your time on it? It should have been the other way around. Same thing that when we ask the famous question, a man and a woman, a man is obligated to learn Torah daily and a woman is not. He's not. Mitzvot that connects to time, women are dismissed from Talmud Torah. She has to take care of the babies, of the house. Hashem is reasonable. He won't make a woman have to sit 10 hours in yeshiva and still clean and still cook and still take care of the kids. It's not realistic. Even a servant, male, it's the same like a woman. doesn't have chiyuv l'ilmot Torah like a man. It's considered like a woman. Nashim ve'avadim, p'turim italmut Torah. Why? How else is going to be a servant? He has to go to yeshiva to see shnes darim. When will exactly serve his master? So the idea is, Hashem divided it in a reasonable way. But, logically, who deserves a higher reward for learning? A man that must learn, and if not, he will be punished? Or a woman that does not have to learn, and if she won't learn, she won't be punished? So, who deserves a bigger reward? The answer, absolutely the woman. She volunteered to learn. She has no gun to her head. If you don't learn, you're going to be punished. The man may not be in a mood to learn. But why is he forcing himself to learn? He doesn't want to cause bitul Torah. Bitul Torah can get kulam. So why a man gets a lot higher reward than a woman when she learns Torah? She Should have been the other way around. She has no yetzahar. Exactly. Because, because <coughs> she is not obligated, she has less resistance. When you are obligated, the Satan resists. When you are not obligated, he's not focusing on you. You're the last of his concern right now. Therefore, they have less Yetzirah. That's why, who enjoys Shiure Torah more, men or women? Did you ever see a man in a Shiure Torah make notes like she always does? <laughs> ever? Find me one man in 30 years that I speak everywhere. That a man sit with a notebook and write every word I say. But I can tell you hundreds of women did it. You write? You have a notebook? <laughs> Who would ever believe? I never saw him writing. He has a notebook, but as far as I'm concerned, there's telephone numbers there. <laughs> but the women, there's every, in every lecture, a few women that write everything. Why? They love it. They have less Yetzirah. So listen, Rabotai, listen carefully. Yosef finally 
revealed himself to the brothers. What does he say to them? And now, don't be upset. Don't be disappointed, don't be upset. You sold me to here. Hashem planned it that I will arrive here to prepare for you a safe landing. That when you finally get here, you'll have a place to live and food and a budget. Everything will be done for you in advance. That was the whole purpose. Now we, now we see the picture why I ended up here. Otherwise, why will Hashem send me to Egypt? What Yosef said is true or false? True. True or false? Everyone agrees it's true? Yeah. So, based on what you say, then the brothers don't have to be punished. They throw him to the pit with scorpions, snakes. There was a miracle, he didn't die. Then they changed their mind, they took him out, they sold him to the Midianim, sold him to the Arabs, who took him to Egypt. All of that was the end of Hashem. So what do you want from the brothers? Why would the brother have to come back in Gilgul and be slaughtered by the Romans? Asara Malchut, they are the brothers. Gilgul of the brothers. I want to ask you a question. How many brothers were there? Nine. Who was the tenth one? Hashem. They made a bedding. You need ten. Elokim Nitzav Be'adat El. Ada, it's ten people. How do we know? From Adat Miraglim. Miraglim, there were ten. How the Torah called them? Adat Miraglim. A group of Miraglim. Ada, ten people. Elokim Nitzav Be'adat El. When there's ten, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he comes there. Why? It's that's Beddin. Adat El. But here there was only nine. Hashem was Mashli Minyan. Hashem was the tenth one. So if that's the case, why there were ten rabbis slaughtered by the Romans? Asara Haruge Malchut. Should have been nine. You hear the question or no? Yeah. Who was Keneged Hashem? Rabbi Akiva. Why Rabbi Akiva? Why Rabbi Akiva connected Hashem? Why? The answer is, there is a Gemara, there was a big rabbi, his name was Shimon Amsoni. You heard about him? Shimon Amsoni. He was teaching his student a concept in the Torah. Every time the Torah say et, Aleph Taf, it comes to include someone else. For instance, Kabed et avicha ve et imecha, respect your father and your mother. The second et is not necessary. You could write the Pasuk without it. Why there is an extra word, Aleph Taf, extra two times in a verse? The second time comes for your older brother that you have to respect your older brother. So we learn it from the et. 
There are different ads in the Torah. Shimon Amsuni was, was going through all the verses in the Torah that has et, 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 and explaining who else does it include. It's not mentioned clearly in a pasuk, but that et comes to include some, something else or someone else. Until he got stuck. He came to the pasuk, to the verse. Et Hashem Elokecha Tira. Fear your God. And he said, who else do you have to fear? There's no one you should fear besides God. You have to fear only God. And once he got stuck, he said to his student, I'm very sorry, forget everything we learned. Just that there is a mitzvah to learn Torah, there's a mitzvah also to admit that when you're wrong and leave it alone. You shouldn't have ego. No, no, we were right, we were right. I was right. No, no, I was wrong, he said. Forget what I taught you. Later came Rabbi Akiva and said he wasn't wrong. It's 100% correct. Et Hashem Elokechatira, the et comes to include the rabbis, the Talmidei Chachamim, who spread the Torah, teach the Torah. They are like the broker between Hashem and the nation. You have to fear them just like you have to fear God. Because Rabbi Akiva was the one who said it, Hashem made him like you are like me. You yourself, this is your opinion in Gemara. Et Hashem Elokechatira lerabot et ha-talmidei chachamim. Why? Because the talmidei chachamim, each one of them is like a God. So because you are like a God, you will be in the Asara Arugem Malchut for the... HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But the question is, Tov, that's beautiful, Divrei Torah, but it was innocent. The other ones, they were guilty. They sold Yosef. Rabbi Akiva was not guilty. So why he had to die in such a horrible way? Huh? No, who knows why? Huh? The answer is he chose to. He chose to. And the student told him, Akiva, Atkan, do something. Meaning, why are you choosing to die? You're not supposed to. The other ones, they have to die. They are Gilgul of the nine brothers. But you are not connected to that crime. Finish it now. By the way, every one of the nine rabbis could have finished it right now. I will explain in a minute why, how. But what did they say, Rabbi Ishmael said? Let me see what they, what they say in Shamayim. If it's Gzera, if it's a decree from Shamayim that we have to die, then we will accept it. Meaning, if I, if I want, I can stop it right now, but I want to see what Hashem wants. Once he realizes Gzera from Shamaim, they gave their life to die on Kiddush Hashem. What does it mean, Atkan? Stop it. Rabbi Akiva could have said the Shema Meforash, the name of Hashem, which is 72 letters, and all these Roman soldiers will fall and die on a second. In a second. He could have killed them right away with Shema Meforash. But he said to his student, all my life I waited for this opportunity. Every day I say three times, I should love your God with all your heart and all your 
money and all your soul, your entire soul. Meaning even if he takes out your soul, meaning if he kills you, you should still love him for that. Now when it's the first time that I have this opportunity to prove it, now you want me to prevent my death? Now let me ask you a question. What Rabbi Akiva did is great or it's no big deal? What do you think? Some may say, ah, it's very interesting to say such thing when you're 120 years old. If you're 50 or 40 or 20, it's a lot harder. My entire life are waiting for me. Why should I give my life now? If I can stop it with Shema Meforash, I could live another 50 years. But when I'm 120 years old, I'm 120 years old. If I'm 120 years old, how much more I would live? Another month? It's worth it for me to sacrifice what I have left and fulfill what I said my entire life. Meaning 80 years I've been saying it. Why 80 years? 40 became a Baal Tshuva. Before he became a Baal Tshuva, what was he? He worked for Kalba Savua, the richest man in Yerushalayim, the father of Rachel, taking care of his horses. He was taking care of the horses, brushing them, washing them. He was in charge of the horses. And he didn't know how to read and how to write. And, and he hated rabbis. How do we know? He said, before I became who I became, I say, give me Talmid Chacham, that I should bite him a bite of a donkey. The Gemara asks, why a bite of a donkey? should say a bite of a dog. Dogs bites. He said, that's not the same. When a dog bites, it doesn't crack and smash the bones. You just make holes and rip your skin, your flesh. A month later, you may have a scar, but the bones are in place. When a donkey bites, when a donkey bites, nothing is left from your bones. They become powder. You hear the click. You know, he chopped your bone to two pieces. There's no way to fix it. You need a whole operation today. They got to remove the the bone and put some piece of plastic, whatever they put. Wood, I don't know what they put. You get the point? By the way, I saw one time a, a clip with the Arab. You know, the Arabs, they all walk around in Israel with donkeys. And still, they still use donkeys. So the Arab is beating up the donkey, kicking him. Animal cruelty like this you never saw. So the donkey is being beaten up, boom, boom, kicks him, smack him, until the donkey had it. Once the donkey, the Arab got on his nerve, you know what he did? He turned his mouth, grabbed his leg, gave him such a bite, you had to see how the Arab was screaming. Never saw such screams. And he doesn't let go. Pulls it. The, the donkey finished him. That's it. He lost his leg. 
That's exactly what Rabbi Akiva said. Why Rabbi Akiva had the Talmidei Chachamim? You may say because he was a terrible person before he became a Baal Tshuva. But that's not what the Gemara said. The Gemara said that Rachel saw in him wonderful, noble personality. He had great traits, shy, devoted, honest, working for a father. The girl see, the one who works in the house, taking care of the horses, that is a very nice person. Until it comes to a Talmid Chacham. That's when the monster comes out. Why? There's a contradiction here. If you're nice, you're nice to everyone. Right? Nice people, usually they're nice to everyone. No. Once I see a Talmid Chacham, I want to smash his bones. Why is it? The Gemara said. You didn't hear it? The Gemara said, Gdola sina shesonim talmide chachamim. Shesonim ameharatzot et talmide chachamim. Veneshotem od yoter. The hatred that the ignorant Jews have to the talmide chachamim, to the high scholar of Torah, is enormous. But their wives, Hate them even more. She usually instigate. The wife usually instigate. Drive the husband crazy. Why is it? No, what do you think? What's the reason? Why? Did, did Hashem decree such thing? Is this a law in nature or no? There's a law in nature. An Arab see a Jew, he wants to kill him. That's a law in nature. Same thing as Sav. Esav, Sonel Yaakov. That's halacha. The Gemara says, halacha. Esav, Sonel Yaakov. That's it. Now, is this also a rule? That Amaharet Sonet Almide Chachamim? What do you think? It's a rule, or there is a logical explanation here? If it's a decree from heaven... There's nothing you can do about it. Don't look for logic. With the Arabs, can you look for logic? You cannot take care of him 10 years, give him job, give him tips, make him coffee, make him sandwiches, treat him like a king, give him parnasah, then he gets up on you and slather you from the neck, chop your head off. Anybody can see logic? No logic. Hashem triggered him, boom. That's what's going on. Don't look for logic. If you were nasty to him and he killed you, okay, you found logic here. Don't look for logic. You will not find logic. Whatever they do, it's totally not logical because the ones that suffer the most is them. Do you know what happened to them right now? 90,000 of them sit home 75 days without income. Every day they used to make between five and 800 shekel a day, which is tons of money where they live. In Gaza? 800 shekel? Do you know how much money is that? They all live in beautiful homes, private homes. They build it with the money they make as workers. They are very wealthy in their places with the money they made in Israel. They have no jobs besides Israel. All their income comes from Israel. Nobody has the guts to let them in now. 
All the construction buildings almost are frozen now. They don't progress. Now, they're going to bring Indians. Chinese used to come, and Thailandi. The Thailandi are afraid to come because they saw what they did to them, kidnapped them and killed them. They're afraid to come. Chinese, they don't want to send workers. Why? They took the side of Hamas. China is with Iran. Iran said to the Chinese, you have to back us up. What can you do? We're giving you a lot of business. You have, the Chinese only care about business. They love the Jews a million times more than they love the Arabs. There's no doubt about that. But they will always go where the money is. That's the mentality of them. They, we, we admire the Jews, but what are the Jews going to give us? There's only 15 million Jews. We do not want to mess with 2 billion Muslims. So the Chinese stuck a knife in our heart. Why? Because they follow the money. But what about India? India hates the Muslims. They have a big war between them already many decades. The Hindus and the, and the Muslims. India and Pakistan. They understand exactly what the Israelis is going through. Because they also have terror attacks. Not as much, but they have. And plus Israel and India are the two best friends. The relationship between Israel and India is better than the relationship between Israel and America. Even though with America we do a lot more things, but in America, half of the Americans hate Israel. Especially all the young generation, they brainwash their head in the colleges. They're all against Israel, all the young generation. Between 18 and 24, the majority of the students in university justify the Hamas massacre. Here, Americans. So, you know, so we understand that. So India agreed to send. Once India will send 90,000 workers, they say between 50 to 100, but someone from the government told me that the number will be probably 90,000. If India will send 90,000 construction workers to Israel, that's the end of the Arabs for good. They won't have what to eat. And what will happen? They will start killing each other. That's what happens when you don't have what to feed your children. You begin to steal. You come, you rob stores, they shoot you, you shoot them. It's going to be chaos, anarchy. But the stupid lefties, they push very hard to bring them back to work. What is the excuse of these idiots? Who knows? What's the excuse? You think if they have work, they'll behave. <laughs> You're good. Your brain works. <laughs> the lefty said, we do not want to get them more angry. <laughs> if they will have money, they will kill us less. <laughs> Don't you see by now that these stupid arguments already went bankrupt? We gave them tons of work and they came and slaughtered us. How dumb you can be. A lefty is a mental disease. One million percent. Mental disease to be a lefty. Not only in Israel, in America, in Europe. The lefties will do everything they can to hurt their life. To hurt their country. 
No logic whatsoever. No logic. The people in the government say, are you out of your mind? We gave them everything. We took out Jews from the Rome. We gave them Gush Katif. We gave them farms. We gave them thousands of acres over there. And right away they started to shoot rockets at us. It's the most ungrateful people in history. They do not understand the word gratefulness. It doesn't exist by them. And after all of that, they've been working, hundred thousands of them work in Israel every day, get permit to come, make tons of money, no tax. They don't have to pay tax. And what did they do? Collected information while they were working for us and handed it to the Hamas. The Hamas already came. The Hamas came with names of every home. Name of the family, how many members, how old is the husband, how old are the children. And they already knew which one from the men is in the Israeli army. And they knew who is an officer. They knew which one has a laptop that have information in it. They stole a lot of laptops. How do I know it? We do not know yet the damage that we're going to have from this massacre. We only see the kidnapped people, we see the people that murdered, were murdered, but we don't know the cyber, cyber tragedy. There's also a cyber tragedy here. How do I know it? I was just in Miami for the weekend. We had a seminar in Marco Polo Hotel. I met a guy there that now is restoring all the cyber in all the attack territories with the Israeli government. As a tycoon, this guy, a real big shot. was a partner of Prime Minister Harper. The Prime Minister of Canada was his partner in a different business. A serious guy, genius in cyber. He told me people don't know 1% of the damage. They came and they stole laptops, and the laptops already is in by Iran, and the Iranians have now tons of information about us, a lot of secrets. That's why we have to change the entire cyber system in Israel now. He is making millions of it. Technically, from the conversation, I understood that this massacre was the best thing in his career, making millions of dollars now in the last two months, changing the entire network. Baruch Hashem, I had the school to make him Baal Tshuva, this guy. Already Shomer Shabbat, his wife is a doctor, became Shomer Shabbat. So now we became friends now. We speak now on WhatsApp and this. But this is one of the people that now is in charge of saving the situation as much as possible. So you see, they already know every little detail, every address. Everything. How did they know all of that? The workers, the work. By the way, some of the workers came and shot the people. One woman said to the guy, you worked for me, I took care of you. Boom, shot them. One woman said that somebody that was her partner, they had an art gallery together, the Arab and this lefty woman. This woman is a lefty liberal made a business with someone from Gaza that comes to Israel daily. What do they sell? Art. She said to me one month before, the, she said not to me, she said to the news, one month before he disappeared. 
His phone got disconnected, she can't get a hold of him. Ahmed, where are you? Ahmed, Ahmed, he's leaving him messages, WhatsApp, nothing. The day before the attack, he called her, where are you? Where have you been? I couldn't be in touch. Where are you right now? I'm here. Do you see army over there? Do you see police over there? The woman said, I realized something bad is about to happen. Why all of a sudden, after more than a month, I couldn't reach him. He's asking me if there is an army in a, in a kibbutz, if she sees police. He's already getting information from her that they should come and kill her. She survived. She survived. So, Rabotai, I asked you a question. You probably forgot it already. The question is, the brothers, Yosef said to them, don't be upset, don't be angry, don't be upset. The reason I'm here is because Hashem wanted it. He sent me over here to prepare for you Parnasa, Michia, a living. That you should come here, you have what to eat, what, where to live. This argument that Yosef made, is true or false? If you say it's true, if you say it's true, then if that's the case, what do you want from the brothers? Why do they have to be punished? If you say it's true, why do the Nazis have to be punished? If you say it's true, why do the Arabs have to be punished? Do you, you hear the question or no? If Hashem prepared Yosef to go to Egypt, that means there's no other way to do it. How else is going to end in Egypt? He's in, in Eretz Israel. What, he's going he's gonna to get on a plane and go to Egypt to find a job in a mall? Sell the Dead Sea product? <laughs> what is he going to Egypt for? He's from the royal family. His father, Baruch Hashem, is very wealthy. They are the most important family in the world. Why, why would he go to Egypt? So the only way to get him into Egypt is by force. How are you going to do it? Through the brothers. So the brothers can come to Hashem and say, I don't get it. You used me, you used us to send Yosef to Egypt to save the Jewish nation future. And now you're coming to slaughter us by the Romans in our next Gilgul? You hear the point or no? It cannot be. If I have a remote control and I move a, a robot, make a left, make a right, and the robot fell down the stairs. And I came, I picked up the robot after he rolled all over the stairs. Shame on you, you fool. Why are you so stupid? Why you always have to fall? If someone will see that, what would they say about me? You don't control that I'm not normal. 100% needs a barbanel. You know a barbanel? You know a barbanel or no? What's a barbanel? Psychiatric institution in Israel, in Batyam. Half, they named the place after who? Don Itzhak? A barbanel. 500 years ago in Spain. He was the head of all the money, similar to Yosef. Yosef was the head of all the money for eight years. Don Itzhak Abarbanel was the right-hand man of the king when Spain was an empire. So you had rabbis 
that are the treasury of, of the Spanish Empire. Don Yitzchak Abarbanel. There's a lot of interesting stories about him and the priest, how they hated him, the anti-Semite priest. They always tried to make fight between the king and him. One time they, they said, we want every minister to declare how much is their assets. Just like here, you want to be the president of the United States? You have to declare how much is your net worth. Who knows how much was the net worth of Joe Biden the day he became a president of the United States? Nine million dollars. Like an Uber driver. Nine million dollars. Who knows what's his net worth now? Forty-nine million. How he made forty million? How much is the salary of a, pre- of a president? Two hundred thousand dollars a year. Multiply by three years. Should have another million, let's say. Nine should have been ten. How it became forty something? Huh? Bribes. Books? Bribes. He doesn't remember his name. What books? <laughs> Bribery. <laughs> Bribery. They already know. They already. That's it. It's a verdict. I don't know. I don't like to talk about what I don't know. Something doesn't smell right. Let's put it that way. My guess that it was a lot more than nine million in the time of the presidency. But now, when he became a president, he just revealed all the hidden assets. Why is it? Why don't you want to show that you have a lot of money when you become a president? Actually, that's an advantage. Remember that billionaire from Texas, Ross Perot? You don't remember him? Yeah, 20 years ago, I think, he wanted to be a president of the United States. He was a billionaire. But he had a business. He had a big business. Trump was a billionaire. Few of the presidents were billionaires. Some became billionaires after, like Hussein Obama. You know, but some were already billionaires. When they became president, they actually lost money becoming a president. Because now they don't have time to take care of the real estate empire or oil. So when the president is a billionaire, there is a less of a chance that he will be a thief. That he will steal the country's assets. What do you need to steal? You have $30 billion. If Mayor Bloomberg will become a president, let's say. He's giving millions of dollars to charity every day, every week. He gives out his money. He, doesn't, he has so much. The interest of his money, it's, it's only growing by the minute. Even on 5% a year, you have 30 billion. Imagine how much you, you grow every year. So you have so much and you're already an old man. You have enough to live for your children and you have plenty to give out for charity. The last thing you think that he will go and steal money from the government or from taxes. But if someone is broke, right, he comes, becomes a president, he barely has anything. The first thing he thinks about how he sets his future. The Iranian Shah, when he escaped to Egypt from Iran, how much money he took out with him? Who knows? 40 billion. That was like 200 billion today with the inflation. It was what, 30 years ago? 40 billion. Saddam Hussein, 40 billion. Gaddafi, Gaddafi, I don't remember the number, also a huge amount. Arafat, the mouse. They know $400 million he hid somewhere, but they never found it. It's a different name. 
400 million. The people of the Hamas, each one of them is 5 billion and up. Mishal, Aniyah, Sinwar, 5 billion and up, each one, stole. There were Arabs farmers working in Israel, painting homes. They were the construction workers. They joined the Hamas. Besides the money in Qatar, what they give, almost all of it they steal. The, uh, the Arabs in Gaza, they don't give them anything. They all come to Israel to work. They're not giving them anything. They steal all the money. That's the corruption. So Yosef is saying to the brothers something that is true or not. If it's true, they shouldn't be upset. Don't feel bad. I have nothing to be angry at you. I know it's the end of Hashem. Or he's just saying it to make them feel good. No hard feeling. Sometimes you have an enemy. He's apologizing to you. You're very angry at him. You're very upset. But it's awkward now to make it obvious. Say, ah, don't worry, no hard feelings. Let's forget about it. Because it's not a comfortable situation. Is this Yosef being polite? Or really Yosef has a clean heart towards them? So the future didn't cry for him. Huh? He cried for the future. We knew they were going to get punished. The Ariya Kadosh says that uh, Yosef said to the brother, Al te'atzvu. Don't be sad. Don't be sad. If you won't be sad, you won't be angry and you won't be disappointed. If you will be sad, you will never see the truth in life. Sadness removes the Shekhinah away from your heart. Whenever you are sad, Hashem runs away from you. You should know that. If you will be happy, Hashem will show you His deep intention why He really sold me to, the, to Egypt and how it was all a part of His plan. Based on this, the words of the Ariya Kadosh, the movement of the Hasidut, which started by the Baal, Baal Shem Tov over 200 years ago, 250 years ago. Simcha. Huh? Simcha. Hasidut is built on a lot of Simcha. Simcha, Simcha, Simcha. Simcha, Gotta be happy all the time. Why the Hasidut actually started we managed 3100 years without them why all of a sudden came a rabbi, tzaddik, Baal Shem Tov very down to earth lived very simple life gufim, you know very very down to earth and started the movement of the Hasidut who started to split to different Hasidiyot in his time Rabbi Nachman Breslev, boom, Hasidut Breslev. Baal Atania, Chabad. It started to be divided. Later on, the Hasidim started to split according to the place where they live. Satmer, Satmer, Vishnitz, Vishnitz. There's different Hasidut, Spinka, Spinka, Bobov. It's different cities in Europe. Kloisenburg, Bells. Usually all the names of the Hasiduyot is where they came from. That's really the name. <coughs> but they all actually are a continuation of the beginning of that movement of Hasidut that started by Baal Shem Tov. 
And uh, one of the important things in Hasidut is to be happy. I want to ask you a question. Where does it say in the Torah that it's mitzvah to be happy every day? Who can give me a source? And where does it say that is a sin to be said? No. Is this a mitzvah to say? That's a description. Vesamachta bechagecha, that's an obligation. Vesamachta bechagecha. You have to be happy in Yom Tov. How do you, how do you become happy? Wine and meat. Fleisch. Wine and meat. All the vegetarians are excluded. They can never be happy. Right? They don't like meat. By the way, to be a vegetarian... Is it a decent thing? Is it a stupid thing? Or is that a sin? I give you three options. One, stupidity. Two, decent thing. Three, a sin. The answer, the answer, the answer, decent, it's not. Take it out. What we have left with? Stupid or sin. Sometimes, sometimes it's a sin. Sometimes it's not a sin. When does it become a sin? Depend on the cause. Why a person chose to be vegetarian. If he hates the taste of the meat, I don't like meat, don't like chicken, don't like fish, I like fruits, vegetables, bread. It's a personal taste. I don't enjoy the taste of meat, or it's not healthy for me. I'm too fat, too much cholesterol, this meat causes me problems. This cause, it's not a sin. You're allowed to be vegetarian for health reason and because you're not attracted to the taste of the of the meat or the chicken or the fish. But if the reason that you chose to be vegetarian is because you have mercy on the animals, they kill animals for me to eat them, cows, sheep, fish, then it's a sin and stupidity. Both. So it's either not a sin and not stupid, but it's not a decent thing, or it's a sin and stupid and not decent. All three. Who can tell me now why? Huh? Before I give you the answer, I would like you to know that it wasn't my idea. It's the greatest legendary Chacham, Rabbi Avigdor Miller. That's his answer when they asked him about it. And the answer he gave is 
people that think I will not eat meat because because of my desire to eat meat or chicken, they're going to kill those animals. It's stupid and it's also a sin. Why? Because it's saying to God, I am more merciful than you. You wrote in the Torah that I allowed to slaughter the animal in a certain way with a smooth knife in the right place and it has to be fast and check the knife before that the animals won't suffer and only the kosher animals are being slaughtered when they have only two cords in the front not like non-kosher that have two reserve one in the back so the only ones you allow the Jews to slaughter and to eat are the animals that are pure such as cow such as sheep they only have and the pipe in the front is as soon as the knife goes, the animal does not feel any pain in less than a second. Nothing. The reflex that the head is moving and the legs, that's electric pulses that were already sent by the brain before the slaughter. It travels in the body. So up to five minutes, you see all kinds of reflection. But there's no pain at all. Even if the cow moves the head and the legs that's already it's similar to an internet when you watch something on the internet a clip or something it's downloading streaming as you watch what happens if the Wi-Fi stop it continues another 10-20 seconds or 30 seconds after and then it gets frozen why? the internet is already the light went on 30 seconds ago how is the movie continue? That part of the download was already sent before the internet fell. Same thing with the slaughtering. The brain always constantly sent pulses to all the nerve system. Those pulses were sent already. Now, once the, the neck was cut, no more blood goes to the brain, the nerve system is shut down, and there's no pain. So I, the vegetarian, I am more merciful than God on the animals that he created for people to eat them. That's a sin. That's chutzpah also. But mainly it's stupidity. I said it to a few vegetarian people who came to my house for Shabbat. And they became meat eater after that. <laughs> Why? Because every time they saw people eat meat, they were suffering. They see everyone enjoy, wow, what a steak, wow, what a chulen. They sit over there and eat beans. Oh, curse be the day that I chose to be vegetarian. But I can't go against my ideology. I'm a saint. I'm merciful. I, I will not satisfy my pleasure and desire while the cow suffers. That's how he thinks. That gives him motivation not to enjoy. But now when he realizes that he's going to be punished for it, not only he suffer without enjoying the meat, he's also going to be punished for that, for being stupid and thinking that he's better than God. What is the point of not eating it? You get the point or not? One way or the other, we shouldn't eat a lot of meat. Try to minimize it only for Shabbat and Yom Tov. Try it's really, really recommended to eat meat and chicken only on holidays on Shabbat. Why is it? Because the Ari Kadosh, the master of Kabbalah and all the secrets in the creation, 
he was the like an angel, basically the level of the Ari 500 years ago. He said that the evil inclination penetrates the body through eating meat. That desire of eating meat increases the level of your evil inclination and other desires. One other reason why it's not so recommended to eat meat, it makes you tired. Try to eat lunch, a good heavy steak, see what happened to you. By the way, come to the Gemara after Mincha. What happened? Moshe, wake up. Oh, I ate this. Um, my stomach is very heavy. Why is it heavy? The body needs a lot of efforts to digest the meat. Therefore, it sends all the blood into the stomach to do the job. Therefore, the head is light. And therefore, you fall asleep. If you don't believe what I say, come to my house and see what happened after the chulent was finished from the table. What happened to all the people, Benji? Huh? They move from the table to the couch. And once they sit on the couch, how long does it take them to begin to snore, Benji? 15 seconds is too much. So what do you see? The meat, it's a great way to put someone to sleep. Once they eat a heavy meal, they're already falling asleep. Why? It, the body works very hard to digest. Now, if you're in the middle of work, it's not good to eat a heavy meal and right away begin to run. It's not good. It's not healthy. If you learn, you cannot focus because now, you, now all the blood goes to the stomach. That's why it's better to eat pat shachrit, good meal in the morning, and another good meal in the early evening, not too late. At night you can eat a heavier meal, but not too close to the time you go to sleep. Give three, four hours before you go to sleep for the food to digest. It's not good that you, the food is totally not digested and you go to sleep. What happened? It also affects the dreams. The level of the dreams you have. Why? Because when the food is being digested, it sends gas to all over. And once your head is down, the gas travels towards the brain. And it puts pressure on certain points. So if in the middle of the sleep, on Shabbat afternoon, after you ate a heavy chulent, you dream that you're a superman, or that you're dying, or you're falling from a building, that's the fume that travels and start to shake points in your brain and all the things that are stored in your memory is starting to blend. All of a sudden your friend comes to kill you and your enemy hugs you. Things don't make sense. That's why better not to have a heavy amount of food when you go to sleep. And when you go to sleep Try not to sleep laying down completely. Try to sleep that, the, that from your hips to the head is a little bit up. Put some pillow, maybe if you have those beds, some beds, they have a remote that brings, the, brings it up. That's very good. So, Rabotai, now we're going to hear the words of the tzaddik, Rabbi Aaron Mikarlin. It's the head of Hasidut Karlin. He used to say, 
The simcha by itself is not a mitzvah, it's not a command, happiness. But when you are happy, it brings you to keep all the mitzvahs of the Torah. On the other hand, sadness is not a clear sin in the Torah. But sadness can bring you to commit all the sins of the Torah and to lose your desire for practicing the commandments. Why? Because the mood that you are in changed the entire game. If you're not convinced, I'll give you examples from life. You have a woman, 10 years, she's not pregnant. 10 years. Try, try, try. Everyone, all her friends have two, three, five. She has no life. What is it called? Rachel said to Yaakov, Give me children, and if not, I'm dead. When you are dead, in your mentality, in your mood, you're not in the mood to do anything. Even to pray, you already lost your patience. You don't want to wake up in the morning. You have no reason to wake up. Why are you sleeping until 11 every morning? What reason do I have to wake up? So when a person is depressed, he is not in the mood to keep mitzvot. Not in the mood. Imagine the second she just found out she became pregnant. The doctor just called. Good news. It finally happened. You're in your second month. Ma? Now come to her and tell her, let's do this, let's volunteer here, let's do this mitzvah. This mitzvah, let's do everything we can. What happened? Happiness. Happiness. Sadness, leave me alone, Rabbi, I'm a lost case. I'm depressed. I want, I want you to know the trick of the Satan. You're probably a victim of that, that trick every day. What does the Satan do? First, he wants to convince you to commit a sin. He knows your weakness. He knows what you're weak with. He knows your attractions. And he set up the environment to put a trap in front of you that will hunt you. For instance, you and your friend. Your friend has greed for money. You don't have greed for money. Money doesn't control your life. Pay you, don't pay you, stole from you, not the end of the world. A friend will kill for money. That's all he cares about. You, on the other hand, what's your desire? Food. Hum, 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 hum. <laughs> all day, hum, hum, hum. No money, but food. Your friend, money, but no food. Very skinny. You know these people that every two seconds they lift their pants? They didn't hear about suspenders yet. So they have to keep, why? They keep falling. They look like a scarecrow. But he has greed for money, but not for, not for food. And you, food and no money. You come to a party. You come to a party. The Satan doesn't approach both of you in the same way. Because each one of you has a different weakness. 
if he comes to the greedy one and approach him with the, with the, with the food, he doesn't have attraction to so much food. He barely eats like a bird. That's not going to work. When is he going to take him? To the non-kosher section? It's not going to work. So where does he take him? To the section of the businessmen. You know, everyone talks in millions, like in Miami. I bought this building 10 years ago, 800,000. I was just offered 10 million for it. The mayor just changing the zoning. Next week it's going to be 20 million. Everybody speaks in millions. Why? He wants you to get into the game. All your life, money, money, money. Until you die and the, the worms will eat you and your money. Nothing will be left from you. No Torah, no nothing. This is the way they trick those who are greedy for money. Those who don't have hunger for money, they have other weaknesses. Women, for instance. Where is he going to take him? To where he's going to have to look around and think what is the next move. So the Satan is a matchmaker. He matched between your weakness, meaning your desires, to what the world has to offer. You hear what I say or no? Today there is a very big Yetzerara. What is it? To listen to the news. More people now listen to the news than ever in the history of the Jewish nation since that tragedy happened. People listen 30, 40 times a day to the news. In Israel, or on, on Channel 14, Channel this, Channel that, on the radio, on the WhatsApp groups, there's news pages. Every second, that text. What? Breaking news. Every five minutes, a new thing comes on the, on the chat. And that's what they do all day. All day, news, 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 this channel, that channel. They hear the same news ten times a day. Ten times a day. Why people want to listen to the news? What's the source of this kind of Yetzirah? Who knows? What's the source of this desire to hear the news all the time? It's a weakness. Some people don't want to hear news. They want a, a second a day. Never. You don't care what happened? No. It's a trend. What's the cause of this desire to hear the news? No, 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 it's a Yetzirah. There is a name for it in Hebrew or in English. What's this Yetzirah? Curiosity. Sacranut. Curiosity. I must know. Curiosity causes gossip. Curiosity causes Lashonara. Curiosity causes you to investigate what this guy is doing, what that girl is doing, who had a shiduch, why he didn't want her, why the shiduch didn't go through. Every little detail you have to know. You know these people in a business market? No? What's up? How's business today? Check it out. What is he selling that I don't have in my store? Spying on each other. That's called curiosity. Rav Aaron Levsteineman Zatzal was on a private jet of Shimon Glick, a wealthy man from New York, from Muncie. Rav Steineman was very close to him. I heard a story that Glick told Rav Steineman, for every night you will agree to sleep in my house in Muncie, 
I commit to give you $300,000. And uh, $300,000 of 25, 30 years ago is about a million today. You understand? If you, if you compare price of real estate, right? 25 years ago, how much you would pay for a house in uh, Brooklyn or in Great Neck? $400,000, dollars maximum. Today, the same house is two and a half million, five times more. So 300,000 of 25 years ago, it's a million and a half today. It's like today, if Rav Steinemann would be alive, if you would want him to stay today, you would have to offer him over a million. And how many nights you think Rav Steinemann slept in his house to take advantage on that offer? After that, never. Never. That's actually, when you say such a thing to a righteous person, that's actually saying to him, please don't ever come to sleep in my house. That's really what it means. Of course, that's not what you mean to say. You are dying for him to come. You thinking by me telling him I'll give you a million dollars sleep in my house, you will encourage him to run tomorrow to sleep in your house. It's the exact opposite. Sleazy people would right away say, oh, I'm actually going to be tomorrow in Monsi. It's a great idea. Because <laughs> he wants the money. Well, when you deal with such an honest, clean, pure person, after that he will never dare to come. How is it going to look? Hilul Hashem. I never slept with him in the last year. Now I'm coming to sleep there for the money. How does it look? You get the point or no? So he took him on a plane, and the plane is flying above the Niagara Falls. From Toronto or Montreal, I don't know, they came towards New York. Shimon Glick said to the pilot, go down, make a circle, and go down as low as possible. I want the rabbi to see the Niagara Falls. When else can you see the Niagara Falls from, from the window of the plane, on top? It's the best sight. One of the wonders of the creation. He started to turn around, and just when he was very, very low now, he, he said to Rashtim and Rabbi, I want you to see one of the biggest wonders that Hashem ever made. No. So the Niagara Falls was on this side. But he was sitting on the other side of the plane. So he got up. He's, he made two steps towards the window on the other side. He's, he's paused. He thought for a few seconds. He turned around and he went and sat down in his place. He didn't see. He said, everything okay, Rabbi? He said, I don't want to see. So why? What happened? He said, when I, when I got up, I had in mind, wow, it's an opportunity to praise Hashem for the wonders that He created. But after I analyzed why I got up with so, so much excitement, did I really get so excited because I have an opportunity to praise God for it? Or I got up because I got very curious to see? After analyzing, I came to the conclusion that the reason I got up with so much enthusiasm is because of curiosity. Curiosity is Yetzerara. Comes from the Yetzerara, not from a pure source. Better I don't see, I don't deserve to see. What do you learn from here? 
that if you go to see the great view, it has to be not because you are dying to see how wonderful it is for the beauty of it because you're curious. No. Because, wow, I'm going to have an opportunity to praise Hashem for something. Same thing with every detail of your life. Not because you're dying to know. Because you want to praise Hashem. It has to come from a holy source. I mean, that's people in a very high level. I mean, we're not in this level. But I want us to know that there is such a level in our generation. There are people like this. So Rabotai will continue. So remember, there is no obligation to be happy all the time. But there is an obligation to keep mitzvot besimcha. When you keep the mitzvot, you have to be happy. Why? Because one of the punishments that Hashem gave us, what does it say in the Torah? Who remembers? Tachat asher lo avadeta et Hashem elokecha besimcha uvetuv levav merov kol. You know, it's a very common thing for people to forget the last two words. What is, what's the meaning of this verse? Because you did not serve your God with happiness and good heart, meaning good feelings. Besimcha uvetuv levav And there is two more words in the verse. Merov Call. These two words people don't pay attention to. They are the most important words in the verse. The whole reason the verse was written is for those two words. Mazamir of Kol, what does it mean? From all the greatness and the good things that you have. From all the good things that you have. So the question is, how does it become the main thing in the verse? Merov kol. What's the complaint of Hashem to us? That we are ungrateful. I gave you everything. You have everything. You have a place to live and clothes to wear and children and they have clothes to wear and food to give them and you have a car or money for bus or for flights, and you have nice homes, and furniture, and jewelry, and a watch, and a source of income, and health, and wealth, and whatever, and relatives, and good friends, and Torah, and brain, and understanding, and you're not blind, and you're able to walk, and to clean your body from the waste, and millions of other things that I gave you, which you take for granted, and then when I ask you to do a little bit for your own good, not that I need your mitzvot. The mitzvot is for you and for your children. It's written many times in the Torah. You're not doing me any favor. I don't need you. I don't need you like Santa say. I'm telling you I don't need you. I'm perfect with or without you. I was perfect before you. will be perfect after you. So... Now, when I gave you everything and ask you for a little bit to do, 
which is also for yourself, but you're thinking I'm doing you a favor because you commanded me to do it, that means I must do it. So now you come to do it with a sad face. Moshe, what happened? You know these people when they see they get a chazan that will pray extra 10 minutes today? Usually shachrit, let's say it's from 8 to 9. But once in a while there is one chazan that is more devoted for the tefillah. He prays a little bit slower, with more kavana, more intention, more attention and intention when he prays. Some people get angry in the shul. Again, this one, oof. Why oof? Because now it's going to finish instead of 9 and 9, 10. No. 10 minutes. Time is money. No, my friend. Money is time. Not time is money. The American got it all wrong. I should have said money is time, not time is money. What does it mean money is time? The greed for money to have more and more and more takes away all your time. Takes away all your life. And in the end you come poor to the next eternal world. But your poverty will remain forever. Here you can be rich, poor, ups and downs, average. But if you come with not enough mitzvot and Torah, you'll be naked forever. Completely poor and miserable. But the problem is that over there there is no way to gain. Here you can gain. Over there that's it. Your time is up. That means money it's time. Not time it's money. American think the more you waste my time the less money I make. Because their goal in life and the purpose of their life is to gain money. By the way, there are two reasons why people love to collect money. Two different reasons. Who knows what? What's the reason? Security. You don't have to work hard. I disagree with the word security. Why? The billionaires still work very hard. <laughs> you already have over a billion. Secure more than enough. The interest on his money is more than securing him and his grandchildren until the end of days. So you see that it's not the, the reason, because rich people continue to work. So, there are a few reasons why people collect money. One, physical pleasures. Money allow me to enjoy the physical world to drive a luxury car, comfortable car, good AC, good seats, nice sunroof, good stereo system. So, money helps to get a prettier wife. In such a terrible world we live in, people are very shallow. The women, the pretty women, they look for rich men, usually. I'm not talking about the righteous tzaddikot from Bet Yaakov, the yeshiva, they want Bnei Torah. No, we're not talking about religious girls now. Talking generally, the world. Many women will only marry a rich man. If not, they will rather stay single. They don't want. They won't go on a shiduch offer unless the guy is a multi-millionaire. 
That's why in some communities nobody gets married almost before age 40. Everyone stays single. By the time they have bar mitzvah to their kid, they're already grandparents in their age. First bar mitzvah. What caused them to wait so long? They still did not buy a house in Great Neck or in Beverly Hills. Therefore, what do I have to offer? Rabbi, no girl would want me here. What would I give her? To live in a rent, in an apartment? She doesn't want that. So this is a very ugly world that Mamash people totally lost it. I'm not, I'm disgusted even to talk about it. But that's reality, unfortunately. So one reason why people want to gain money, because money will allow them to enjoy the physical world, materialism. That's one reason. Meaning, people like this, if you say to them, you don't need money. You don't need money. I'll give you a card. Whatever you need, buy on a card. Don't need money. Don't have cash. Whatever you need. What do you need? Clothes? Buy. Car? Buy. So they don't need to collect money. They get their luxury. Oh, you know what? A gift. They have a rich uncle. Everything you need, come to me, I'll give you. Uncle, I'm tired of 15 bedrooms villa. I need something upgraded. How much you want? 30 bedrooms. On me. Find a house, I'll wire the money. But he's broke. He doesn't have $5 to give the homeless. But he lives in a mansion. Why? His rich uncle buys it. Bought him a car, give him food. Everything is on the uncle. What does he care? He wanted luxury. He wanted life of pleasure. He got life of pleasure. So he's not necessarily needs the money. He wants the pleasure. Give me pleasure without money, I'll take it. You get the point or no? There is another reason to collect money. Money, it's power. Gaiva, meaning pride. People automatically respect you because you know they know you have power and connection and people are afraid of you and you can do things with your money. You can hire people. You can save situations with your money. You can feed the right people to do the job for you faster. There are many, many things that it makes the life people will respect you a lot more. So he loves the power. Someone like that, if he will become a general in the Israeli army, he doesn't need the money. He has all the honor in the world. I'm fucked. Sir? Yes, sir. All day gives orders to people. No. Why does he need money? He's a king. In his kingdom. He got what he wants. He doesn't need money. But before he retires from the army, what does he do? Arrange himself $20 million for retirement. All the Israeli generals, somehow, with a salary of $5,000 a month, their entire career in the army, when they retire at age 45, all of them somehow have tens of millions of dollars. Go figure. From where? Good question. Good question. Thanks. This guy, the head, the, the head of the Israeli army, Gallant, he was supposed to be the chief of command 10 years ago. 10 years ago. He was already elected to the job. 
but they replaced him in the last minute with that clown, Gantz, one of the dumbest people on earth. No wonder. Never saw in my life such a stupid person. He was the head of the Israeli command. You see, you see him talking, you see to you say to yourself, how is it possible? They put him because the media butchered Gallant. Why they butchered Gallant? How is it possible he retired from the army and he has a $10 million mansion in Israel? The reporter started to ask questions. That something is, this has to be corruption here. Cannot be. An officer in the army that has such a home, he probably got some money from all kinds of weapon deals under the table. You know, the generals may not have an income, but they have a way to make a huge amount of money. For instance, the army has to decide what tanks to buy, from this American company or from that American company. The deal will be $1 billion. They need to buy 300 tanks. $1 billion. The Americans, the Americans send representative to Israel to try to close the deal. So what happened? One say to you, go with us. Give me any, any account you have offshore and you're going to have $50 million tomorrow morning wire there. No question asked. The other one say, how much they offer you? 50. We give you 75. Take our tanks. He goes back to him. They offer me 75. What can you do? We'll do 100. No problem. They offer me 100. Back and forth until one of them said, listen, it's out of our budget. That's the last offer. Okay, I'll go with them. Goodbye, thank you. No hard feelings. 100 million dollars goes to his account. End of story. So, somehow, look at this Ehud Barak, one of the biggest traders in the history of the Jews. He sold us to the Arabs, sold us to the Europeans, sold us everywhere. This Rasha Merusha. He lives in a 15 million dollar apartment in Tel Aviv by the water. He was a friend of this Epstein with all the, the girls here. What's his name? Epstein was his name? Huh? The one that was killed. This low life used to visit him all the time. Coming to his house with young girls. With grandpa. He used to get him little girls. This is that low life monster. This is the idiot that said that Israel built the tunnels in Gaza, not the Hamas. I cannot believe. He is worth probably hundreds of millions of dollars. How? Weapon. He became a broker of weapon. Used his connection from the army to sell to Africa, to Somalia, to all these people. That's how they all made billions of dollars over the years. Why? When you are... Same thing, by the way, in America. I don't think it's something unique to Israel. Everyone who is a general... In the years, he gained power and honor and connection, and it translated to a lot of money. When they're in the army, they don't need the money. They have the honor. But when they finish, they need to stay in power. They make sure they have retirement money. So there is another reason why people want to accumulate money. Who knows why? Just for the feeling on having more and more every day. That gives them happiness. They don't use the money. They don't spend a dollar. 
They live the most simple life. No one even knows they have so much money. You look at them, they look like homeless. You would never believe this guy had 30, 40, 50 million dollars that he accumulates daily, every day, more and more and more. He doesn't use it. Why? Because what makes him happy is to check in his bank account that the number went up by a few thousand every day. That's it. He never touched the money. One day he will die and all the money will be left there. The only reason was just to accumulate money. It's different reasons. Time is running out. We have a famous question. Sometimes people ask me this question. Rabbi, what am I supposed to do now? Am I supposed to be said 1,400 Jews died, 1,400 so far, and so many are kidnapped, being tortured? Am I supposed to be now sad for the situation of the Jewish nation? Because it said that you're not supposed to be sad. Because if you said, Hashem goes away from you. So if I'll be sad for my brothers that are dead, and for soldiers that are dying every day, it breaks the heart, then I defeat my own Avodat Hashem. If I'll be happy as business as usual, five soldiers die today. No problem, he's happy, dancing, put some nice music, eat his chicken, doesn't touch him. You're not upset? No. You're not allowed to be sad. Sadness is sitrachra. It's the advice of the devil, the satan. No. So which way is the right way? Looks like a contradiction, no? Huh? What do you think? When a person commits a sin, it's supposed to be said or no? But that's the point of the Satan. If the Satan makes you commit a sin and you fail, and now he comes and tells you, look at you, you loser. You don't even deserve to live. I wonder how Hashem keeps you here alive. He's such a faker. He's such a hypocrite. Look at your big yarmulke and your long beard. Look at you, look at you. That's how he play with your head. What happened? You go to bed for three days in depression. The Rosh Yeshiva come. You okay? Moishi, what's going on? No, I don't feel good. Three days is depressing bed. He lost 30 hours of learning Torah. 60,000 mitzvot each hour. Why is it? Three days ago, he wasted seed. Because of that, he's depressed now for three days. The Satan is making a party. First, I made him look at things that he's not supposed to look and commit a sin. And now, I crush his heart. You loser, you liar, you, you, you rasha merusha. Look at you. And what happened? He cannot learn. I killed him from both directions. It's called vidui ariga. Make sure the terrorist is dead before you leave the site. You get the point or no? So, is that a good thing or no? To be broken from committing a sin or no? So what's better, to dance like a fool? <laughs> why are you so happy? I just did a horrible sin. So why are you dancing? You have to be besimcha. No. We spoke about it. Satan 
save us from the Satan when he's trap, putting a trap in front of us. Save us not to fall into that trap. And once we pass the trap, save us from the Satan that behind is trying to get us to feel great that we passed the test. And if we fail the test, he makes us feel horrible. One way or the other, he stick the knife in the back. Once we pass the trap, he runs and stick the knife in the back. You didn't really win him. Because if you win, he makes you feel proud. If you lose, he makes you feel a loser. That's what we ask Hashem, save me from before and save me from after. This we know. Well, I'm asking a question now. You just did a horrible sin. You have to be sad for, wow, how, how can I have done such thing? How could I do such thing? I'm so ashamed. I'm so sorry. I'm so upset. I'm so sad. That's the right approach? Or right away? What did you do? I just killed my enemy. <laughs> what happened? Why are you dancing? I just killed my uh, competition across the street. He opened a supermarket next to me. I'll show him. You just murder. So what? You're not allowed to be said. No? I see some fools like that. You have to be besimcha. No? <laughs> ah, it's a catch-22, no? We got stuck here. Anyone knows the answer? Move on. Huh? Move on. Move on, huh? So how do you live your life? You're not embarrassed? No. You live in such a conflict every day and you don't know what's the solution? So what do you do? We have every five minutes a situation like this. To be happy or to be sad? How do I know what Ratzon Hashem? Bachur Yeshiva now did a horrible sin. He didn't watch his eyes. It caused him to do a bad sin. Is he supposed to cry and feel crushed? Or is he supposed to move on like nothing happened? You need to know this, no? If you don't know, what do you, how do you react to your mistakes? See, nobody knows anything. Give tzedakah. The magic word. No? Uh, when you do something bad, you have to make sure to never do it again. And if you do it, just move on. We know that. The question is, how do you supposed to feel? We're not asking what you need to do. We know, we know you need to do tshuva and regret and ask for mechila and confess and Yom Kippur would pass. Right now, how am I supposed to feel? Move on like nothing happened? Or feel major disappointment? A broken heart? The problem becomes even more complicated when you see that there are verses like this and there are verses like that. We're not coming out of the dilemma. <laughs> such an important issue and everyone is puzzled so no one knows huh? person has to we know ourselves and we still do things we're not supposed to the question is how do we react to it
they say the more you do it, it becomes like a So the first time you feel bad, obviously. It says, Ergel Nasa Leteva. Once it's become a habit, you do it again and again and again, that's it, it becomes your nature. It becomes your nature. But again, all the things you say, it's correct, but you're not answering my question. You just did something very bad. Very bad. Now, what is the solution? To be broken, to be sad, to hit yourself, to fast, to roll yourself on the snow. Soon it's going to be snow, you can do Gilgulesh Sheleg. Well, if, if someone was driving in the highway and they got sleepy and they almost went off the road, what, what would be the solution for that? They would have to be more careful next time. So they have to be watchful. No question about what you say is correct, but that's not relevant to what I ask. I ask how we're supposed to feel. Lousy, sad, disappointed, broken, be there. How can I have done such thing to Hashem? Or... <laughs> no, that's the question. Ah? <laughs> huh? So life, life, the key word, the key word for life is balance. We need to find the balance. In one hand, lev nishbar elokim lo A broken heart, depressed, nitke dikaon is depressed, sad. Down to earth, broken. I'm crushed from what I've done. I cry to Hashem. Hashem will accept my prayers. Guarantee. Elokim lo Hashem will not turn my words down. Why? Because I come with a broken heart. I can give you hundreds of examples. There are people with a broken heart. Their prayers is accepted express. And people without a broken heart it takes a much longer. One of the examples is Lot. After he lost his two son-in-law and all his money, and he ran away from Sodom, he asked the angel if he can go to Mitzar. He was supposed to go to the mountain. So if I'm going to have to climb the mountain, I'll be dead. I will die. Let me go to Mitzar. But Mitzar was supposed to be destroyed. Avraham begged Hashem, maybe you should keep these uh, cities. Maybe there are ten righteous people there. And Hashem said, there's no righteous people, they're going to die. So Avraham couldn't convince Hashem not to destroy Mitzar. Avraham is a big tzaddik, Hashem loves him. And Lot is wicked. He went to Harvard Law School, and then he went to be a judge in the Supreme Court of Sodom. Someone that used to be religious became a judge, left Boro Park and became a judge in Manhattan. Hasidish a judge. Used to be righteous, became what they became. So the question now, how come the wicked lot, how come the wicked lot convinced the angel not to destroy Mitzar and let him go there? It wasn't a part of the plan. The answer, because his heart was smashed and broken and said, when you make a request with a broken heart, with tears, I have nothing left, 
השם has mercy on you. אלוקים יבקש את הנרדף. So we see with a broken heart, same thing with Hana, she was crying 19 and a half years to have a son. לנער הזה התפללתי, what a son she got, equal like Moshe and Aaron combined. Moses and Aaron combined. How can it be? Shmuel, the prophet, Shakul ke Moshe ve'Aaron. What got her such a legend? A broken heart, crying every day. So what's the point? Hannah did the right thing or the, the, or the wrong thing? She was sad and crying every day when she prayed to Hashem. So it's good to be sad or bad? Make up your mind. Or you should come with happiness. Sing, Hashem, I love you. With your long, two long pairs. Like this. In Israel there's one guy. If you see how he pray, you don't know if to cry or to laugh. Like this, in the middle of Tfinat 18. He begins to sing, clap, like he's in a disco. And all the other ones, it, it looks like a show. You're shocked when you see it. First time I saw it, I didn't know if it's a show, it's, it's pretending. Apparently it's everyday thing. By the way, some people... They look very happy, but why are they happy? Because of the drugs they take. Don't be fooled by, <laughs> I see the light, Rabbi. Yeah, yeah, what did you smoke that you see the light? What pill he takes? Prozac? Prozac every day makes him laugh. <laughs> you see people like this. They take medication. I remember we had a girl in my school that her father died in a boat accident. Boat went over him and the engine grinded him in the water. And we went, the school went to Nichum Avelim. I get to the house, I see her and her brother laughing hysterically. So what's going on here? I expected them to be crying, screaming, be crushed on the floor. They laugh, telling jokes. So the maid, who a very rich family, they used to own this galley company. The sneakers, it's like the Israeli Nike. They used to own it by themselves. So, so the maid, the servant there said, don't pay attention, we gave them a pill. So apparently there is such a pill, I don't know what's the name of that pill, that a, war, a girl that just lost her father yesterday, and her life is basically crushed now, you give her a pill or two, I don't know what, and she smiles and laughs hysterically, and her brother. That's the power of the chemical to the brain. Why didn't you ask? <laughs> Why, you want to take the same pill? <laughs> well, I didn't know you're going to ask me 30 years later that you want the pill, that I would write it down. <laughs> Tov, we have to answer the question that I ask. Mein Yavo Ezri. Rabotai, the, an, the, the answer is like this. When a person commits a sin, his heart has to break to pieces. And he has to feel major disappointment for what he did. And regret, regret, oh, I should never ever dare to do such thing ever again. 
And immediately apologize and ask Hashem for forgiveness with a broken heart. But very, very fast after that, he has to put it aside from his mind and run quickly to learn Torah. Pikudeh Hashem Yisharim Samchelev. If the sadness caused him not to learn Torah, that's the advice of the Satan. That's the advice of the Satan. We should not make our disappointment from our sins and our broken heart a cause of Bitul Torah. The Gemara says there is suffering that comes because of our sins. Hashem sends us punishments. Pain here, pain that. Accident, broken, this, teeth, root canal, all kinds of problems. And Isurim below Avon. But there is one opinion in the Gemara that yes, Isurim shel Ahava. There is suffering that Hashem sends people that He loves extra. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh, I hope Hashem doesn't love me extra. <laughs> Love me, but not extra. Why? Right? If the extra will bring me all kinds of suffering, keep some of the love up there. That's stupid. Don't you want Hashem to love you extra, regardless of the consequences? First, it's a huge achievement. You find favor in the eyes of Hashem. Ah, so if Hashem loves me, He sends me more suffering. How does it work logically? Very, very simple. When you don't have suffering, you get net profit for every mitzvah you keep. You learn Torah, you get your reward. You put filin, you get your reward. But if you do it while you suffer, you get ten times more. What is it like? Two people come to work in a beggar store. You're the owner. One of them you love more than the other. The one you don't love, you tell them you work on a register. That's it. Sit on the chair, like in a supermarket. Kashir. How much you make? 20,000 an hour. Easy job. Eats his corazon, eats his bagel, fressing all day, and moving his finger. That's it. The one he loves, he makes him a baker. Walks by the oven in, in August, 500 degrees, dripping sweat, all day flipping the bagels. Bags of flour, dumping it in a machine, throwing it to the kettle, taking the bagels out, putting the seeds, putting it in the oven, rush, taking them out before they burn, taking them in a basket. He walk 50 times harder than a cashier. How much he makes an hour? 50, 60 dollars an hour. Three times more. By the end of the month, he made 2,000, he made 6,000. He asked his boss, why you hate me so much? You're making me work so hard. The boss said, you fool. I upgraded you. <laughs> I moved you from $20 to $60. I want you one day to have your own bagel store. Save money. One day you buy your own place. Making you work hard and suffer the heat and the, and the, and the weight and all the effort... It's a sign of uh, love and appreciation, or it's a sign of hate? Love and appreciation. 
if it increases the profit and increases your reward, of course it's a sign of love, right or wrong? So that's called Yisurim Shel Ahava. That Hashem brings more suffering to the righteous person in order for him to pay him a much bigger reward in the eternal world. But there is one way to, to tell when is the suffering is strictly a punishment and when is suffering of love. It doesn't interfere with your body. Very good. How do you know it? If the suffering prevents you from keeping some of the commandments, you're in the hospital, you can move. You cannot put filin, you cannot stand and pray Shmunaisre, you cannot go in Yeshiva and sit and learn Torah. That's definitely not suffering of love. It's suffering because of your sins and you are being punished right now. But if the suffering you have does not prevent you from keeping mitzvot, you're still able to learn all day Torah, you're still able to put filin and to pray and to go to shul, and everything you've been doing before the suffering came, you're still doing. But, but your back kills you. Oh, my back hurts. Tov, you're still able to pray, still able to sit and learn, you're still able to put filin, you're still able to give tzedakah, you're still able to do all the mitzvot. But you do it <coughs> while you have strong pain in your lower back. If you have such pain that you cannot move, that's not already, it's not Yisurim Shelava. You cannot go to the yeshiva. Can't. The pain takes you, drives you crazy. You can't even open the book because you cannot focus on the learning because of the pain. This is punishment. But if with the poverty that you have, let's say, you're still able to sit and learn, learn Torah all day, you don't have money, but you're still able to learn Torah just like before the poverty came. Same amount of hours. That means Hashem just made your reward ten times more. Or more, maybe more than ten times. That's called Yisurim Shel Ava. Yisurim Shel Ava. Not everybody agree with this concept. The Rambam is not such a big fan of it. But many of the poskim say definitely exist. And they even bring sources. We see in the Tanakh that sometimes Hashem, people that Hashem loved extra, He sent them extra suffering. Who can give me one example? Yaakov. Yaakov is the best example. Yaakov wasn't a person to commit sins, right? Yaakov wasn't a sinner, so a complete righteous person. Do you know anyone in the history that had more suffering than him? David HaMelech. David also David. is another good example. But you see the point? The people that Hashem loved the most suffer the most. Who? Yaakov Avinu. David HaMelech. Who else? Moshe Rabbeinu. Aaron HaKohen. Two sons died, and he didn't enter Israel in the end. Who else? Yosef HaTzadik, 12 years in prison for doing nothing. Bottom line, we see that people that Hashem loved the most, like Rachel, suffered. Rachel Imenu, Sarah Imenu, suffered. Hannah, the mother of, of, uh, of Shmuel, 19 and a half years, being barren, crying nonstop. Eli thought she's drunk. Because she has no energy anymore. You know, when you lose your energy already, you're starting to bend. 
20 years. What do we see from here? That suffering is not a sign that Hashem hates you. It could be very much a sign that Hashem loves you. What happens if you're a big criminal and you get suffering? What is it? A sign that Hashem loves you or hates you? As long as Hashem punch you, that means he did not give up on you. He may be very disappointed from you, from what you're doing, but the fact that he's still punching you every day, that means he's trying to push you back in the right track, and the only way people understand is the tough way. It's called tough love. Tough love, there is such a thing. I'm tough with you because I want to push you to the right direction. If I'll be soft with you and give you hugs and kisses, where are you going to end? Threats usually will do the job. You know how they threaten you? The government send you a warning letter or the bank. If you won't do this and this and that, we will close your account by the first of the month. If you do not refill these documents, we will cancel your health insurance. <clears throat> oh my God, I'm pregnant. What am I going to do? Right away, she runs to take care of the paperwork. Why? Until now, when they requested the information, she put the letter in the box. Didn't pay attention. Once now the warning came that the insurance is about to be canceled, immediately she did it. Why is it? That's the language people understand. Do it or you'll pay the price. Do it or you're going to lose. I'm going to lose, I have no choice, I have to do it. This is what life is all about. Every country is built with such a system. Don't do it, you'll go to jail. You'll do it, you'll go to jail. Do it, the government will reward you. United States offer now $15 million for one terrorist. One Arab. I don't know exactly who's this Arab. Maybe he's in Al-Qaeda, maybe ISIS, I don't know. $15 million. Why they offer so much money? They're going to kill this Arab. You have $5 million like him waiting online. So, so you have $5 million minus one now. How is it going to change anything? Any, any leader of the Hamas you kill, in less than a second, there are 20 fighting for the job. So you kill him, okay, another 20 waiting, another one got the job. Two or three years later you kill him, another 20 waiting. It's never going to end. Plus, they have so many terrorists are born every day. The numbers are only growing. Why Hashem made such a system that we have such a cruel Nazi enemy around us, and they multiply faster than the lightning, faster than the speed of light. Do you know how many Palestinians you had in the time of Oslo in Gaza? 200,000, 20 years ago. Now it's 2.2 million, 11 times more in one generation. Do you know what will be in 20 years from now? 20 million. 20 million in one city, in Gaza. What are we going to do? Imagine they just walk with white flag. 
they break the, the fence like they did with the tractor, boom. They made a hole and they all come with flags. Happy birthday to Arafat. Happy birthday to Arafat. What are you going to do? Shoot them? Just walk. 20 million terrorists walk with a white flag, without guns. Covering every inch of Israel. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You have thousands coming from everywhere. You're in the middle of a street. What's going on here? What would they do? What do they do? That's it. They take over the country. They close the roads. They take, they, they, that's it. There's nothing you can do. We came to live here. We refugees. Where the world will tell you, don't dare to kill them. They're unarmed. They came with a peaceful intention. Peaceful intention. You know Gaddafi? When they asked Gaddafi to give up his nuclear plan, he had like, like Iran, started uh, to, be, to build a place. Gaddafi was very clever. He said to them, no problem, give me this and this and this and that, and I will let you take off my nuclear facility. Without a war. I'm not Saddam Hussein the fool. He can take it off, no problem, I don't need it. He, he got what he, what he wanted. They let him cancel this nuclear thing. Then, then they ask him, why did you agree so easily to give it up? So what do we need it for? Muslims! Just have kids. Lots of kids. Next generation, the world will be all ours. We don't need to shoot one bullet. Just have a lot. We will become the world. European have one baby and two dogs and nine cats. They put their efforts in the dogs and the cats. One kid in France, England, 1.5, 1.3, that's it. When you give birth to one point something kids, you need minimum three not to start to decrease. That means you're going in reverse. 50 million uh, Danish in 10 years will become 45, and then 10 years will become 40, and another 10 years will become 35, until there will, nothing will be left. Then the Muslim will become the majority, take over the country, make a Sharia law, and the leftover Danish would run quickly to a different place. They won't be able to live there because they'll kill them all. This is what they're going to do to all the countries. Today someone sent me a picture in Penn Station, 10,000 Muslims praying inside the Penn Station. They lock the whole place. They are showing you what's coming here. Like, like, just like they do all over Europe. Now you understand why the Colorado court is trying to prevent Trump from becoming a president? The Satan is trying to do it. Why? They, because if, the, if there's anyone who can stop it, which I doubted very much, but if there is some kind of a chance to stop it before it's too late, it's him. You need someone crazy to do the job. Someone decent, someone that thinks correctly, but doesn't have a crazy mind, cannot fix the horrible problem the world is in. This country is in a horrible situation. You can only save it from someone crazy. Anyone normal, decent, I don't know, speaks, educated, calculated, politically correct, there's nothing you will be able to do. Someone that doesn't care, 
people care seeing this, he's got used to it, he makes a lot of noise, he can do something. When he was the president, they were all shaking, by the way. There was no Palestinian representative, he shot it in New York, he moved the embassy, he cut all the help to the Palestinians, he made the, the Mexican bow down to him, the Canadians, the Europeans, the Chinese, North Korea. He made so many things. The only problem he had, he didn't know how to behave. If he would know how to talk, <laughs> not make up names to people. Everyone has a name for. And plus the lefty media targeted him, because when you do the right thing, the lefties go crazy. Especially if you give them reasons. When you act like a clown, then now they justify why they hate you so much. You understand? We will wait in 10 months and see what Hashem preparing for us over here in America. Maybe Mashiach will come before. We won't even have to wait for the election. We will see. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve'amen. Rabbi Hanan Yaben HaKashia Omer. רצה הקדוש ברוך הוא לזכות את ישראל, לפיכך הרבה להם תורה ומצוות שנאמר אדוני חפץ